and welcome back lovely people we are journeying on to chapter two of a tree grows in brooklyn chapter two the library was a little old shabby place francie thought it was beautiful the feeling she had about it was as good as the feeling she had about church She pushed open the door and went in. She liked the combined smell of worn leather bindings, library paste, and freshly inked stamping pads better than she liked the smell of burning incense at high mass. Fancy thought that all the books in the world were in that library, and she had a plan about reading all the books in the world. She was reading a book a day, in alphabetical order, and not skipping the dry ones. She remembered that the first author had been Abbott. She had been reading a book a day for a long time now, and she was still in the bees. Already, she had read about bees and buffaloes, Bermuda vacations, and Byzantine architecture. For all of her enthusiasm, she had to admit that some of the bees had been hard going. But Francie was a reader. She read everything she could find. Trash, classics, timetables, and the grocer's price list. Some of the reading had been wonderful. The Louisa Alcott books, for example. She planned to read all those books over again when she finished with the Z's. Saturdays were different. She treated herself by reading a book not in the alphabetical sequence. On that day, she asked the librarian to recommend a book. After Francie had come in and closed the door quietly behind her, the way you were supposed to do in the library, she looked quickly at the little golden brown pottery jug, which stood at the end of the librarian's desk. It was a season indicator. In the fall, it held a few sprigs of bittersweet, and at Christmas time, it held holly. She knew spring was coming, even if there was snow on the ground, when she saw Pussy Willow in the bowl. And today, on this summer Saturday of 1912, what was the bowl holding? She moved her eyes slowly up the jug, past the thin green stems and little round leaves, and saw nasturtiums. Red, yellow, gold, and ivory white. A head pain caught her between the eyes at the taking in of such a wonderful sight. It was something to be remembered all her life. When I get big, she thought, I will have such a brown bowl, and in hot August, there will be nasturtiums in it. She put her hand on the edge of the polished desk, liking the way it felt. She looked at the neat row of freshly sharpened pencils, the clean green square of blotter, the fat white jar of creamy paste, the precise stack of cards, and the returned books waiting to be put back on the shelves. The remarkable pencil with the date slug above its point was by itself near the blotter's edge. Yes, when I get big and have my own home, no plush chairs and lace curtains for me, and no rubber plants. 
I'll have a desk like this in my parlor and white walls and a clean green blotter every Saturday night and a row of shining yellow pencils always sharpened for writing and a golden brown bowl with a flower or some leaves or berries always in it and books, books, books. She chose her book for Sunday, something by an author named Brown. Francie figured she had been reading on the Browns for months. When she thought she was nearly finished, she noticed that the next shelf started up again with Brown. After that came Browning. She groaned, anxious to get into the seas, where there was a book by Marie Corelli that she had peeped into and found thrilling. Would she ever get to that? Maybe she ought to read two books a day. Maybe. She stood at the desk a long time before the librarian deigned to attend to her. Yes, inquired that lady pettishly. This book I wanted. Francie pushed the book forward, opened at the back with the little card pushed out of the envelope. The librarians had trained the children to present the books that way. It saved them the trouble of opening several hundred books a day and pulling several hundred cards from as many envelopes. She took the card, stamped it, pushed it back down a slot in the desk. She stamped Francie's card and pushed it at her. Francie picked it up, but she did not go away. Yes, the librarian did not bother to look up. Could you recommend a good book for a girl? How old? She is 11. Each week, Francie made the same request, and each week the librarian asked the same question. A name on a card meant nothing to her, and since she never looked up into a child's face, she never did get to know the little girl who took a book out every day and two on Saturday. A smile would have meant a lot to Francie, and a friendly comment would have made her so happy. She loved the library and was anxious to worship the lady in charge, but the librarian had other things on her mind. She hated children anyhow. Francie trembled in anticipation as the woman reached under the desk. She saw the title as the book came up, If I Were a King by McCarthy. Wonderful! Last week it had been Beverly of Graustark, and the same two weeks before that. She had had the McCarthy book only twice. The librarian recommended these two books over and over again. Maybe they were the only ones she herself had read. Maybe they were on a recommended list. Maybe she had discovered that they were surefire as far as 11-year-old girls were concerned. Francie held the books close and hurried home, resisting the temptation to sit on the first stoop she came to to start reading. Home at last, and now it was the time she had been looking forward to all week. Fire escape sitting time. She put a small rug on the fire escape and got the pillow from her bed and propped it against the bars. Luckily, there was ice in the icebox. She chipped off a small piece and put it in a glass of water. The pink and white peppermint wafers bought that morning were arranged in a little bowl, cracked, but of a pretty blue color. She arranged glass, bowl, and book on the windowsill and climbed out onto the fire escape. Once out there, she was living in a tree. No one upstairs, downstairs, or across the way could see her, but she could look out through the leaves and see everything.
It was a sunny afternoon. A lazy, warm wind carried a warm sea smell. The leaves of the tree made fugitive patterns on the white pillowcase. Nobody was in the yard, and that was nice. Usually, it was preempted by the boy whose father rented the store on the ground floor. The boy played an interminable game of graveyard. He dug miniature graves, put live-captured caterpillars into little matchboxes, buried them with informal ceremony, and erected little pebble headstones over the tiny earth mounds. The whole game was accompanied by fake sobbings and heavings of his chest, but today the dismal boy was away visiting an aunt in Bensonhurst. To know that he was away was almost as good as getting a birthday present. Francie breathed the warm air, watched the dancing leaf shadows, ate the candy, and took sips of the cooled water in between reading the book. If I were king, love, ah, if I were king. The story of Francois Villon was more wonderful each time she read it. Sometimes she worried for fear the book would be lost in the library, and she'd never be able to read it again. She had once started copying the book in a two-cent notebook. She wanted to own a book so badly, and she had thought the copying would do it, but the penciled sheets did not seem like, nor smell like, the library book, so she had given it up, consoling herself with the vow that when she grew up, she would work hard, save money, and buy every single book that she liked. As she read, at peace with the world and happy as only a little girl could be with a fine book and a little bowl of candy, and all alone in the house, the leaf shadows shifted and the afternoon passed. About four o'clock, the flats in the tenements across from Francie's yard came to life. Through the leaves, she looked into the open, uncurtained windows and saw growlers being rushed out and returned overflowing with cool, foaming beer. Kids ran in and out, going to and returning from the butchers, the grocers, and the bakers. Women came in with bulky hawk shop bundles. The man's Sunday suit was home again. On Monday, it would go back to the pawnbrokers for another week. The hawk shop prospered on the weekly interest money, and the suit benefited by being brushed and hung away in camphor, where the moths couldn't get at it. In on Monday, out on Saturday, ten cents interest paid to Uncle Timmy. That was the cycle. Francie saw young girls making preparations to go out with their fellers. Since none of the flats had bathrooms, the girls stood before the kitchen sinks in their camisoles and petticoats, and the line the arm made, curved over the head while they washed under the arm, was very beautiful. There were so many girls in so many windows washing this way that it seemed a kind of hushed and expectant ritual. She stopped reading when Fraber's horse and wagging wagon came into the yard next door because watching the beautiful horse was almost as good as reading. The next door yard was cobblestoned and had a good-looking stable at the end of it. A wrought iron double gate separated the yard from the street. At the edge of the cobblestones was a bit of well-manured earth where a lovely rose bush grew and a row of bright red geraniums. 
The stable was finer than any house in the neighborhood, and the yard was the prettiest in Williamsburg. Francie heard the gate click shut, the horse, a shining brown gilding with black mane and tail, came into view first. He pulled a small maroon wagon that had Dr. Fraber, dentist, and the address painted on the sides in golden letters. This trim wagon delivered nothing and carried nothing. It was driven slowly through the streets all day as an advertisement. It was a dreamily moving billboard. Frank, a nice young man with rosy cheeks, like the fabulous youth in the children's song, took the wagon out every morning and brought it back every afternoon. He had a fine life, and all the girls flirted with him. All he had to do was to drive the wagon around slowly so that people could read the name and address on it. When it came to a set of plates or the pulling of a tooth, the people would remember the address on the wagon and come to Dr. Fraber. Frank leisurely removed his coat and donned a leather apron while Bob, the horse, patiently shifted from one foot to the other. Frank then unharnessed him, wiped off the leather, and hung the harness up in the stable. Next, he washed the horse with a great wet yellow sponge. The horse enjoyed it. He stood there with the sunshine dappling him over, and sometimes his hose struck a spark from the stones as he pawed the ground. Frank squeezed water out, of, out onto the brown back and rubbed it down, talking to the big horse all the while. Steady now, Bob. That's a good boy. Back up there. Whoa now. Bob was not the only horse in Francie's life. Her Aunt Evie's husband, Uncle Willie Flitman, also drove a horse. His horse was named Drummer and pulled a milk wagon. Willie and Drummer were not friends the way Frank and his horse were friends. Willie and Drummer lay in wait for each other, figuring out injuries to do to the other. Uncle Willie reviled Drummer by the hour. To hear him talk, you would think that the horse never slept at night, but stood awake in the milk company stable, figuring out new torments for his driver. Francie liked to play a game in which she imagined that people looked like their pets and vice versa. Little white poodles were favorite pets in Brooklyn. The woman who owned a poodle was usually small, plump, white, soiled, and with roomy eyes, just like a poodle. Miss Tinmore, the tiny, bright, chirping old maid who gave Mama music lessons, was just like the canary whose cage hung in her kitchen. If Frank could turn into a horse, he'd look like Bob. Francie had never seen Uncle Willie's horse, but she knew what he looked like. Drummer, like Willie, would be small and thin and dark, with nervous eyes which showed too much white. He'd be whimpery too, like Aunt Evie's husband. He let her thought she let her thought go away from Uncle Flitman. Out on the street, a dozen small boys clung to the iron gate, watching the neighborhood's only horse being washed. Francie couldn't see them, but she heard them talking. They made up fearful stories about the gentle animal. Don't he look still and easy, a boy said, but that's only a fake. He's laying his chance for when Frank ain't looking, and then he'll bite him and kick him to death. Yeah, said another boy. I seen him run over a little baby yesterday. 
a third boy had an inspiration. I seen him do number one on an old lady sitting by the gutter selling apples. All over the apples too, he added as an afterthought. They put them blinkers on him so as he can't see how little people is. If he could see how small they is, he would kill them all. Them blinkers make him think people is little? Little like peewees. Gee. Each boy, as he spo spoke, knew that he was lying, yet he believed what the other boys said about the horse. Eventually, all the boys, tired of watching Gentle Pop, just stand there. One of them picked up a stone and threw it at the horse. Bob's skin rippled where it struck him, and the boys shivered in anticipation of his going berserk. Frank looked up and spoke to them in his gentle Brooklyn voice. You don't want to go and do that now. The horse didn't do nothing to you. Oh no, shouted a boy indignantly. No, answered Frank. Ah, go yourself, came the inevitable coup de grace from the smallest boy. Still gently spoke Frank as he let a rill of water run over the horse's rump. Do you want to go away from here or do I have to break a couple of your asses? You and who else? I'll show you who else. Suddenly, Frank swooped down and picked up a loose cobblestone and squared off as if to throw it. The boys backed away, hollering out offended retorts. I guess this is a free country. Yeah, you don't own the streets. I'm going to tell my uncle the cop on you. Beat it now, said Frank indifferently. He replaced the cobblestone carefully. The big boys drifted away, tired of the game, but the little boys seeped back. They wanted to see Frank give Bob his oats. Frank finished washing the horse and stood him under the tree where his head was in the shade. He hung a filled feed bag on his neck and he went to work washing the wagon, whistling, let me call you sweetheart. As if this was a signal, Flossie Gladys, who lived below the Nolans, stuck her head out of the window. Hello there, she cried vivaciously. Frank knew who called. He waited a long time and then answered, hello, without looking up. He walked around to the other side of the wagon where Floss couldn't see him, but her persistent voice followed. Done for the day, she called brightly, or asked brightly. Soon, yeah. I guess you're going out sporting, being it's Saturday night tonight. No answer. Don't tell me a good looking feller like you ain't got no girl no answer. They're running a racket tonight at the Shamrock Club. Yeah? He didn't sound interested. Yeah, I got a ticket admitting lady and gent. Sorry, I'm all tied up. Staying home to keep your old lady company? Maybe. Ah, uh, go to hell. She slammed the window down and Frank breathed a sigh of relief. That was over. Fancy felt sorry for Flossie. She never gave up hope, no matter how many times she lost out with Frank. Flossie was always running after men, and they were always running away from her. Fancy's Aunt Sissy ran after men, too, but somehow they ran to meet her halfway. The difference was that Flossie Gladys was starved about men, and Sissy was healthily hungry about them. What a difference that 